Hi, everybody. Welcome to ML Chat. We are going to have a lot of fun today unpacking some conversations that we had at Nabe. Nabe was in Portland this, this year, back in, in mid-February, and I, for the first time, got to meet Tim in person. And so we had a lot of fun. We've worked a lot remotely together and via Zoom. But Tim, it was so fun to be in person with you at the Nabe conference in Portland with icy roads all over the place. Mm -hmm. I had no idea you were so tall. (laughs) The camera takes away eight inches or something, I think. (laughs) Yeah. The the Nabe experience, I don't think anybody foresaw the impact of the snow and basically... practically canceling the first part of the conference. But for those that made it, it really was a great experience. It was a great conference. And there was, we heard from a lot of people who couldn't get there, right? Or by the time they got there, it was going to be time to turn around and go back. And a lot of folks from the East Coast, we ended up, our flight from Salt Lake to Portland ended up being canceled. So we flew into Seattle and drove down that night so we could be there first thing in the morning. I can't remember if it started on a Monday or a Tuesday, but it was it was quite the the travel excursion. We made it. That was the important thing. But I really couldn't believe the like four inches of ice that were on the road everywhere you went. You literally were on ice skates. It was crazy. Yeah, we don't have the the infrastructure here for really like treating the roads or or cleaning them up after the snow happens. And so it just freezes. And if you have a pattern of weather that just hangs over the city and it doesn't melt, it's kind of a recipe for disaster. How long have you lived in the Northwest now, Tim? This is uh, year 10 for me. And have you ever seen a snowstorm like this in Portland? Yeah, we had one in, I want to say it was like 2017. And those conditions lasted for the better part of two weeks, actually, of the, like, like the frozen streets. And so I remember my kids being out of school for <laughs> a long while. And it actually coincided with the tail end of winter break. And so we were off of school for some time. But <laughs> <laughs> when you're ready to get back to it and certainly ready to send your children off to school. We were yeah, in a winter break, you're ready to go. You're like, oh, man, aren't you excited to get back to school? I'm excited for you to go back to school. And then to get two more weeks on that, that is nuts. Yeah, yeah. But I guess this was the largest snowstorm in, what is that, 80 years, 70 years? Like Mm 10.8 inches, which is not a lot up in the mountains and in some places in the country, but that's a lot for Portland. No, just an hour and a half from here, it's that's something that happens all winter long. But down here in the valley, it sure was disruptive. Well, and so you think about it, if you were the, one of the conference officials for NABE, <laughs> that's stressful. This was not what they were expecting. No, However, okay. it was an amazing conference and we uh-huh. had so much fun connecting with people from all over the nation who are deeply committed and engaged in this work of serving multilingual students. And so what a uh, for those of you that weren't there, we actually recorded live. We had a bunch of um, opportunities to interview amazing people and uh, recorded some of those interviews that we're going to share here with you today. We are going to jump in and unpack some of the best practices regarding uh, building oral language fluency from educators, teachers, really across the nation. I'm excited for this. There's some amazing stuff in here. I can't wait to find out where we go from here, Tim. Yeah. You know, what I really appreciate about 
the like just the voice here and hearing from the perspective of colleagues really all across the nation and so i'm anxious to hear what they had to say let's dive in our first interview is with dr sarah schmidt de carranza the executive director of multilingual learners in saint paul public schools let's hear what sarah had to say sarah schmidt de carranza saint paul minnesota saint paul minnesota and what district saint paul public schools saint paul public schools anything where you can build in opportunities for them to talk to each other in class. Small group discussions, pair discussions, giving them scaffolded questions that they can, sentence frames that they can respond with or like types of questions like to elicit more information, use these to further along or get additional context about your perspective, to disagree in a like academic way versus a social way to agree in an academic way versus a social way. So giving them the tools and then just giving them so many opportunities to use it. Well, Sarah walks through a number of different strategies and ideas there. Tim, what, what jumped out to you the most? I, I think three come to mind, Justin. One, you might remember how we talked about abundancy and redundancy and Something that captured my attention from Sarah's comments is just the, the importance of offering students lots of opportunities for talk and in a variety of ways. And you think about that sort of abundancy of opportunity and then connecting to the second part in a multitude of ways. Sarah called out all the different forms of academic language, that really the language functions that, that are so important to exercise um, across academic contexts. So supporting students as they agree or <laughs> disagree or cite text evidence or use specific talk structures to analyze texts and make connections. This is the sort of talk that's so critical in supporting students, not only academically, but with the communication tools to actually express their understanding of content. That was what really jumped out to me as well, is just the, that idea of giving students different tools for academic and for social situations, breaking that down, differentiating between the two, and then putting them in those different groups or whatever it might be to give them a chance to have an abundancy of redundancy. I love that. That is so good. So just lots of opportunity to use that language, and that is a best practice. For sure. And then I guess the, the third thing, that struck me as and sort of implied in Sarah's comment, but our role as teachers in creating that space. And so much of that has to do with the ways in which we design tasks with intention for talk, where talk is a principal ingredient in negotiating new content for meeting, in, in expressing understanding of, of class concepts. And then thirdly, there's a real connection to formative assessment that what you hear in class is valid evidence of student learning. And it, you know, it makes me think about the episode two, Justin, when we talked about eliciting evidence and the importance of including talk-specific tasks in our lessons that afford students the opportunity to chew on the content, to collectively make meaning of it. And then finally, use academic language and, of course, their social language as well to express their understanding. I love that you went back to the some of our previous episodes because I did the same thing. I was thinking of clear intended learning, right? If you don't have that clear intention of where you're trying to go, then 
it's hard to allow the space for the who knows what might happen in the conversation, yeah. right? Instead, you want to control that situation so that things don't get out of hand or you don't know where it's going to go and you want to keep control where if you have that clear intention of where you're trying to go, it allows you to have that space and provide students with that opportunity to include talk specific tasks like you mentioned. Sure. Yeah. And when you think about who's between the speaking and the listening, it's like within that interaction, who's doing the cognition, who's doing the thinking, right? And, you know, it's within those interactions and that active zone of proximal development, that construction zone, that's where you, you really see evidence of the learning. And when we think about this and the, the dichotomy between how we remember school is sort of sitting passively at a desk. <laughs> at a desk and to, and to juxtapose what Sarah's describing. That's a pretty big gap. I actually have a picture, and I know this is not a visual medium, but I have a lithograph by an artist actually of my same last name, Blackburn from the Bronx. And it's just of students passively at desks in neat and tidy columns and rows. And it's an image that I often think about that stands in contrast to what Sarah's describing where students are actively making meaning through tasks that are intentionally designed with the purpose to get students connected and actively speaking and listening and, and sorting through a problem or making meaning of texts. And I think of all the myriad ways we can design tasks with intention for students to talk. Yep. Dr. Sarah Schmidt de Carranza from St. Paul Public Schools, thanks for giving us so much to talk about. That was great. Love unpacking that with you, Tim. All right, let's jump into our next interview. We are here at Nabe with Tamika Moten. I am from Houston, Texas, a part of Alding ISD Independent School District, and I serve as a district literacy coach. So I really work closely with the teachers and instructional specialists on campus. And so I give them different strategies that they can use in their classroom to support oral language fluency. One of the main things is the opportunity to talk and engage in different conversations. So students need time to process and then to be able to turn and talk. They need opportunities to share out. And so we do that through a lot of different strategies. For example, we do something called Four Corners and they pick their answer and they go to the corner. And during that corner, they explain why they picked that answer and give some information. So that allows them to not only use their regular language, but include academic language. Well, thank you, Tamika from Aldine ISD. We're so grateful you joined us at NABE, and thanks for sharing, sharing those thoughts. Fun to hear a very specific strategy, Tim, in, in what Tamika's sharing about the four corners and getting students talking. Mm -hmm. And did you hear the reference to using all of their language to explain their why? That's something that I really appreciated from Tamika's comments that, you know, yes, specifically calling out the associated academic language and how that academic language is going to be specific to the context and really have to explicitly teach it while also recognizing and availing the space for all of the students, you know, language in the space. And Four Corners is a really, just a very cool way to, a very dynamic way to get students up and moving and then expressing themselves. And thanks to Tamika for bringing us that, that specific example. Yeah, I love the idea of getting students moving and, you know, talking is an active thing, right? Like in order to use our productive language, we've got to be active and getting our body moving actively, I'm sure can really help with that. 
Yeah. I mean, when you think about like the types of questions though, that are required for pushing students to greater depths of knowledge. And these aren't questions that start with what or when. <laughs> these are questions that, that start with why or how. And creating the space for students to actually like push them to, to, to depth, right? And so why is it that you feel that way? Or give me reasons that explain how it is that you got to that conclusion. In order to substantiate that sort of thinking, students really have to pull on all of their linguistic resources to express themselves. So again, like Four Corners is a, a really neat strategy to, yes, get students up and moving, but further using their full linguistic repertoire to explain themselves. Yes, using all their language. I love it. Okay, thank you, Tamika. Great breakdown, Tim. I love thank, that. Yeah, thanks, Tamika. Our next interview is with Zabdi Gonzalez out of McKinney ISD. Zabdi is the Senior Director of English Learner Support. I'm Zabdi Gonzalez from McKinney, Texas. McKinney, Texas. On what district are you in? McKinney ISD. McKinney ISD. So one of the things that I've found the best way to develop that oral language fluency is just giving them opportunities to talk to each other about themselves. So I'm um, giving them conversations that can talk and then that just builds their comfort level. Then also during the lesson or anything like that, then you develop stems. So sentence stems so that you can give them a starting point. So they're not so focused on everything. So they can only really truly focus on the content yeah. instead of everything else. So that has worked to develop that. So you're giving them time to practice. Give time them time to practice. To they also hear it. They hear from each other. They learn from each other and they learn words from each other through those conversations. Tim, I love what Zabdi says here about giving students a chance to talk about themselves as a warm up. Yeah, I was hoping you would call that out, Justin. I appreciated that comment too. And it actually, not to be too nerdy, <laughs> but it made me think about our English language proficiency standards and, you know, kind of irrespective of of your state's consortia and your specific standards. And there's a notion of starting with what is local and familiar, right? And building from what is local, immediate, and familiar. And that really resonated with me. I appreciated how culturally responsive that is in creating the space for students to start close and proximally to themselves. And then to build from there, thinking about that in terms of honoring our students' like linguistic and social funds of knowledge, that's really a core principle, a core foundation of culturally responsive teaching practice. But then building on that and creating the space for it, I really appreciated this comment and how Zabdi starts from that orientation. Yeah, so did I. And it's really something that we've tried to embed in into Flashlight 360 when we're creating the art that students are working off of or talking to, or we're looking and sourcing different photos that we're going to include. That's one of the things that we've really tried to be mindful of is that we are meeting students where they are. We want them to see themselves, right? We want them to be able to talk about their life and their experiences because that is the familiar. That is what the local, that is what they know. And to be able to get started there allows us to have a foundation to build on as we move forward. So Zabdi also talks about sentence stems and how they can free students up to go access the content and talk through that. I know that there's a couple of different ideas and beliefs on sentence stems out there in our broader educational world, Tim. Can you compare and contrast the ideas around sentence stems for us? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we have to start from the understanding that no one is born with academic language. We're all academic language learners. And 
Sentence frames, uh, sentence stems, or one of my favorite ways to say it is the way Aida Walkie says it. She calls it formulaic expressions. That is, when we use the sentence stems, they are you know, designed to teach explicitly the language to communicate you know, often an academic idea or to make connections between ideas. But when do we use sentence frames? When are they helpful? And often, as you know, in my own teaching practice, I like to think about those sentence frames as an ultimate target, but rather the space for my students to negotiate new text for meaning, to connect ideas, to express their understanding, at least initially in their first thoughts. I tend to actually not use many sentence frames in that case. And the reason why is that I don't want to constrain their thinking in any way up front, but rather avail the space to negotiate new ideas and new texts for meaning. And once we get to a place where our students feel like comfortable with the concepts, it's then to introduce the academic language to, to make those connections. So it's interesting. So some teachers might be using sentence stems as a form of scaffolding earlier on for a student in their language development journey, if you will. But it sounds like you would like to use it more as an instructional tool further along the line, maybe when a student has the social language in their building academic language. Am I reading that right? Not necessarily in terms of like their own progress, because we can't really bifurcate the social language and the academic language. That is, we wait to introduce academic language after they have social language. We can't do that. We don't have the time. Our students don't have the time for that. But rather, I think about it more in terms of moments in a lesson. As our students are actively building understanding of new concepts, I choose not to introduce many new sentence forms or language structures in there that might say, limit their ability to make meaning of the new text, but rather create the space for them to interact, create the space for my students to read, to make meaning of text, to practice concepts. And then once we've had those discussions, is to offer academic language to them in the form of sentence frames to connect ideas. So in the context of, say, lesson moments, Justin, this is a basically a question of the space to negotiate, the space to connect, And then once our students have had the opportunity to access the content is to then offer a frame or formulaic language that pushes them to actually apprenticing in those academic talk structures. Okay. So then to kind of walk back what I said earlier, then just from a summary standpoint, this is Mm -hmm. more for my learning than probably Mm -hmm. anything else here. But what you're saying is you like to see sentence stems not necessarily as a scaffolding early on to get students talking about it, but instead to use it further in the lesson to help them go further. That's exactly right. I like that. I like that. I think Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Thanks for working through that with me and thinking about that. I think there's tremendous value in that. And frankly, I, I, uh, I think there's a number of people that, that are going to benefit from that. For our next interview, we're going to head down to the land of enchantment. Even though we're in Portland, that was anything but enchanted. It was just frozen. And we are going to hear a little bit from Bridget Hansopoulos, who is an instructional coach in Gadsden ISD. Bridget Hansopoulos? Bridget Hansopoulos, where are you coming from? Gadsden Independent School District in New Mexico. What we use is the Project GLAD strategies, and one of the strategies that we use, but we also learned about here, is using the pictorial input chart and using a lot of visuals for students that are learning a second language, not just visuals of pictures, but 
doing hand gestures and being able to really give them a, a big picture of what they're learning. Two really solid Jedi ESL moves. When you think about the importance of, of pictures and keeping an image-rich environment for our students. And, you know, that's really the space for students to map what they already know in their home language and make connections to their new language, right? Um, you know, those pictures and using pictorial charts from like Project Lad Strategy is a, just a, a brilliant way to basically create the frame for students to start talking and apprenticing in that language. The second part of what I heard from Bridget that I really appreciate is the use of total physical response, but actually connecting that language with some sort of a gesture. And Project Lad does such a great job of bringing songs and gestures into the classroom. And so it should be said that the strategies really do create the space for students to, to practice language in, in a light way. But again, Bridget bringing to us crucial language-rich teacher moves and using imagery for affording just the space to make connections from one language into another, and then to associating new language with gestures. I love this. Thank you for unpacking and thinking about that, Tim. We obviously feel really strongly and understand the importance and the research behind using lots of visuals and allowing students to use all of their language and kind of talking to that. Just for those that don't know, I'm, everyone's probably pretty familiar with Project GLAD. It's out of the National Training Center. And GLAD, let's see, I was just going to tell everybody what GLAD stands for, which is the Guided Language Acquisition Design. They've worked hard to cultivate SEL competencies of self-management, self-awareness, and a lot of different things, but also around language acquisition. And there's a lot of you know great strategies that we can unpack just diving into that. Tell me a little bit more about hang gestures and how those might be used, Tim, in the classroom. Justin, it really goes back to, I guess, an important principle of language development that was referred to as total physical response. Have you ever heard of TPR? I haven't. No, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So TPR is like a tried and true ESL strategy. And the premise of it is that we can learn new language by associating it with a particular gesture or a particular movement. And so, you know, for instance, if you're learning the verb jump, right, and jumping, that you do so by jumping. Yeah, that that makes so much (laughs) sense. Or run and running and you're running in place, right? or your reach, you're reaching. And of course, it's not just limited to verbs. Actually, another great way to teach prepositions is through total physical response. And you're thinking about like on top of the chair, under the chair, actually physically moving objects associated with particular prepositions. But the, the notion here that Bridget brings us is by starting with imagery and then moving students along to associating the new language generated by the imagery with an associated movement. Total physical response. I love Mm -hmm. it. And so she just mentions hand gestures, but man, there's so many different ways that you could use that. I love that idea of if you're teaching an action like jumping to actually jump. Like this is not your neat and tidy rows, sit and get classroom. This is chaos, jumping, reaching, I love this. That's a classroom I want to be in. Well, yeah, I, I guess I take issue with chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the sense that 
TPR is really meant to be, and and Project Lad in particular, really do offer teachers routines. And so I'm not being a contrarian in the least, just to offer to our colleagues that what we're after here are predictable routines and reliable routines for building language throughout the school day. That's what Project Lad is all about. I love that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Chaos is probably not the right way to to describe that. All right, let's jump into our next interview with Leah Johnson. Leah is an elementary school teacher in Aldine ISD in Texas. So we are going back to Texas. Leah Johnson, where are you from? Houston, Texas. Ooh. Awesome. <laughs> what district are you in? I'm with Aldine ISD. I have my students talk out loud with it. So they read it and then they dev- they say their answer out loud first. We have a lot of discussion within our classroom. I like to, I'm a fifth grade teacher, so they're big on just reality, what's going on in the world. So having those discussions, but also there's this resource and it is called Flipgrid. Flipgrid is a resource that we use is basically students are able to record themselves and but they're talking and so they can do audio or video but they're able to talk and even with us talking about those real life situations or events that are going on able to kind of do it like a newscast and so that allows for them to also be able to speak and learn and speak out more as pertains to the things that they see going on and their opinion. So it's like just a free for all. Like, I'm not going to tell you your opinion. You tell me your opinion in the Flipgrid. You make it like a newscast. And then we're able to go back and watch it as a class or either individually. And students are able to go in independently, talk about, give their comment to it and everything. So I think that's been the best strategy that I've used so far in my seven years for oral language. Just talk. Yeah, exactly. Just talk. Just get them to talk and get them to sharing out with other students. I'm big on letting my students lead the class. I'm only a facilitator. I'm not the teacher. So I let I facilitate and they lead the class. And I think that's the best way is letting them lead the class, talk things out, talk to their peers, talk to each other, share out their opinions on what's going on, have that open dialogue, and that open conversation, allow them to use their home language while also still trying to learn English at the same time, which then also builds community within the classroom. It's just, I like when they're able to lead, but also just letting them just talk, letting them just have it out. Now, of course, as teachers, we get, they got to be quiet sometimes, but just allowing them to just have the fluidity in the classroom is their learning space. So let them lead with, and I usually let my kids lead with talking and discussion. I'm not the teacher. I'm just, I'm the facilitator. Boom. Man, Leah Johnson over here dropping amazing ideas and knowledge. And she is next level, Tim. Yeah, actually, there were a number of moments that really just warmed me. (laughs) I I just like immediate connection to Leah. Firstly, I am the facilitator. And that really resonated with me as thinking about our roles as teachers, as creating space for students to make connections. And she went on by saying how she even does so to create community with the purpose of creating community and that culture of safety. And within that that safety, like the having the space to process in the students' home language, using all of their language to communicate in class. And boy, that just really resonated with me from a classroom culture perspective I and mean, thinking about culturally responsive practice insofar as creating spaces for students to make meaningful connections. 
But then she prefaced that, that classroom culture conversation with a discussion of relevance. And that is, you know, having topics that students want to talk about. When we think about culturally responsive practice as having topics, having themes that our students want to engage with, right? And in that meaningful space, having that meaningful dialogue just gives all of the reason for students to share what's on their mind. Finally, using tools. When we think about the role as a facilitator on having novel, clever ways for students to grow and apprentice in academic talk. Having a tool like Flipgrid, or perhaps your school district might use Seesaw, or hey, how about Flashlight 360 as another tool that teachers can have that effectively offer the space for students to share their thinking. And then what Leah described as having tasks within Flipgrid that push students to, to share their understanding of class concepts. She mentioned having it like a news broadcast, right? And so think of all the different types of talk structures a student could practice within that context. And then all of a sudden, Leah has a bank of tasks that show what students know and are able to do, yes, in the content, but also in the associated language. And so when we think about those in terms of formative assessment, you've just turned speaking and listening standard one into a basically a rich bank of evidence of what students know and can do. I love that you call that standard out just like right off the bat. I love Leah's energy, amazing energy. And you can tell that she really does approach her work as a professional. Like she has the confidence to facilitate instead of just teach, right? Yeah. How lucky are her kids? That's what I was thinking. I actually have a fifth grader. So I'm thinking, man, I wish, actually, my son has an amazing teacher. I was about to say the same. I have a fifth grader too, and she has a great teacher. But boy, Leah, thank you. Just wonderful comments. Yeah, wonderful comments. And I loved how she said, look, I'm not trying to tell them an opinion that they need to discuss or that they need to take. Bring their own opinion. Tell me your opinion, and then we can keep talking from there. Yeah, that's fantastic. As far as Flipgrid and Seesaw work so good for just getting students talking, really, that was in many ways, that's where Flashlight 360 came from, is a lot of teachers just wanted something that had more of a framework and more structure that was geared around prompting students, getting them talking, and then having a rubric and an understanding to be able to provide feedback to students, provide them with learning goals, and maybe give a score of some sort. And that's that's what we built in on the back end of Flashlight. So now it's not just students talking, which is actually fantastic. We just want students talking as much as possible. But it also gives a framework to understand and measure, you know, speaking and writing that productive language. Our next guest at NABE was Lillian Ardell. Dr. Ardell is actually the founder and lead staff developer at Language Matters. Let's jump in. My name is Dr. Lillian Ardell, and I'm with Language Matters. Since I work with teachers mostly, I work with the teachers that support students. I help them think around biliteracy practices. Oracy is certainly one of the fundamentals. That students should be speaking more than teachers is one fundamental that I often message with teachers. Insofar as writing, that there are inextricable relationships between what you think, what you say, and how you write, and that there should be equity around those three spaces as well. And fluency is nice, but it's not the end all and the be all. And sometimes you need a little productive struggle in those spaces too. Something that I appreciate that I heard was around the value of productive struggle. And it makes me think about our you know, prior conversations we've had about students just having the space to apprentice and grow in language and hearing 
the first part of our comments around biliteracy and having that active biliteracy zone, students using all of their language and the productive struggle, right, of using that language for a particular purpose. And so, you know, all this to say, it brings me back to the prior conversation around like the value of that space and the kind of like the freedom to use language for a particular purpose without constraining it so much with a firm sentence frame that what I heard in this comment is really the importance of student talk and the relationship to thinking. So when we think about who's doing the talking and the listening is really a question of who's doing the deep cognitive thinking, who's doing what I like to refer to as the heavy cognitive lift. You know, I don't know if you've ever been into a classroom, Justin, where it just looks like the teacher's working too hard. And oftentimes that person is doing most of the talking. And then if you're to cast your gaze out onto to the students, what are the students doing? And all too often, it's the students sitting pretty passively, taking information in. And I like to think about classroom discourse like a highway. And so, you know, Lillian and calling out the, this really important point that she shares with colleagues around who's doing the work, right? Who's doing the thinking and really the, the, the speaking, the listening, the interaction is just great evidence of that. Yeah. And I love how she's talking about needing that space to think, speak, and write. And I just love the way that you talk about that opportunity to apprentice in the language. That's not me. Remember, that's Dr. Aida Walkie. <laughs> it's me. I love it's the me. way that Dr. Aida Walkie talks about apprenticing, needing the space to apprentice in developing the language. It's beautiful. Yeah. Great imagery. Gosh, I just would like to thank everybody who uh, took the time to talk with us at Nabe and share these amazing ideas and thoughts. This is some gold. This is some good stuff. Tim, what jumps out to you the most from our interviews today? What are you going to take with you to Tiger Tualatin School District? Sure. Thanks, Justin. Firstly, just an appreciation of our colleagues, not only for sharing their perspectives, but also for the great work that they do. And additionally, I guess there's three things that really jumped out at me from these perspectives. Especially like just the intentionality around like the task design, like being very mindful up front of all of the language development opportunities there are throughout the school day. And the second part about that is like when we think about those language development opportunities, there is just the connection to student oracy. That is exploring moments in our lessons for our students to connect and collectively make meaning. And we heard colleagues call out their role as, as facilitators of that space. Finally, it's just the relationship to formative assessment. We heard wonderful ideas about just the value of student talk and how it illustrates where students are and certainly their learning of class concepts, but also in the development of all of their language and really underscoring that last part of all of their language, using their full linguistic repertoire to connect with their peers and also to connect to ideas in class. So those are the three things that came to mind, Justin. Oh, I love it. And one of the things to me, I learned today about total physical response, TPR. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. And I think there's great value in that. And as we're building Flashlight 360, that's one of the things that I'm going to try and think a little bit about is how can we include more opportunities for students to use their bodies as they're learning some of these words and learning language and using that language. 
it'll probably end up living in our offline materials more than in the actual platform. Just as suggestions, right? right. Yeah, exactly. So love that thinking. I'm still blown away at Leah Johnson's just declaration that I'm the facilitator, not the teacher. And that just really resonated with me. And I love the energy that she had around that and the confidence that she had in that. And I just think that is the sign of a teacher who has gone pro. I just love that idea of people going professional, right? Like just because you are a teacher or you are an author or you do writing or you do whatever it might be. I love this idea of deciding that you're going to go pro. You're going to go professional. And I think there's a next level you get to when you make the decision that you're going to be a professional and be the very best that you can be, which obviously Leah has done that here. And like really challenging prior notions of what an effective classroom looks like. You know, when we think about the power of our mental models, right, for being of a certain age, I grew up at a time in school where a a passive classroom was the marker of an effective classroom. And challenging that notion and designing a language-rich environment requires a significant shift. And I think that's what we really heard there. Exactly. Amen. Amen. Hey, Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure, Thank you. Interviews. This was so fun fun to to hear all of the great work going on along around the nation. Thanks again to everybody who participated. We actually have a few more episodes like this that we're going to do where we asked asked everyone a few more questions. And and so we'll unpack some of those here in the up and coming episodes. So anyways, thanks, Tim. Great to be with you. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
The ML Chat Podcast is brought to you by Flashlight Learning. Flashlight Learning has helped deliver personalized feedback and progress monitoring to over 75,000 multilingual students nationwide. Flashlight 360 provides students with a platform to showcase their speaking and writing skills, helping teachers gain a better understanding of their students' individualized needs and inform instruction. Teachers are talking about the increased confidence and language proficiency growth they're seeing in their students. A recent study from Johns Hopkins School of Education demonstrates that Flashlight 360 had a significant positive impact on WIDA Access overall composite scores. To learn more, visit flashlight360.com study.